Well, yesterday I was in the store and I took a picture of something that I saw because it was just too good to not take a picture of. So this is Twilight Hair Tools. Okay. We've got straighteners, curlers, uh, hair dryers. If you turn the corner, there was like a whole thing of brushes and stuff like that. And I love the line. It says, styling tools to create your favorite Twilight hair. You know? And I was just thinking like, that's insane because somebody was in that store yesterday and saw that and was like, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like somebody called a friend and said, I know I'm getting you one too. Right? Okay. I mean, how insane is that? I just kind of thought, you know, what, what might it be if my wife and I kind of got into this a little bit? And so hopefully we have this picture. Is that coming up or not coming up? Oh, I guess it's not coming up. It's all messed up. Oh, there it is. So there we are. So just in case the church thing doesn't work out, we might try acting a little bit. We'll see. But, uh, but I was just thinking, man, we need to take that down very quickly. Uh, I was just thinking that like our world, you know, I'm sitting there in the store and I see, I, to me, that's, I mean, I'm sorry if you like Twilight. No, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I'm just looking at this thing and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, like the things that, and if you have one, I'm sorry too. I, I didn't mean to offend you. Somebody, I got that hair dryer, you know. Um, but I, I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, man, the things that we as people uh, are, are thinking are important. You know what I mean? Like the things we think are essential, the things that, that we're about, you know, are so temporary. You know, like, like the people who are excited about those things, you know, that thing's going to break in a month. That thing, they're going to throw it out. They're going to think that was the cheesiest movie ever of all time in about five years. And look back, I can't believe I bought a curler. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and I think that's us. I mean, we just, there are things we're about and we're so passionate about. And, and these would be some of the things we would say, oh man, these are the essentials of life. These are the things I care about. It's what I have. It's what I buy. It's, it's who I hang out with. And, and Jesus is so different. And really it's so refreshing because Jesus had very different essentials than you and I do today. Jesus had some, honestly, very few essentials. There are very few things in the scheme of things that Jesus was really all about. And so as I was reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the past several months, I just kept seeing these three things. And actually, we've added a fourth. We're going to do one more next week. These four things that Jesus just kept seeing. He kept coming back to these things. He kept, he kept saying, this is, this is big, and, and this is important, and this is why I'm here, and this is what I want to do. And even more than that, he was saying, this is what I want you, my followers, to do. And so we've talked about, first off, how he brought grace to those who didn't live like him. Those who didn't believe like him, those that wouldn't have called themselves followers of Jesus, he brought them grace instead of judgment. And then last week, we talked about discipleship. We talked about how, man, he just went after people and said, I want to help you understand what it is to follow me. I want you to be clear on it. I want you to know what it looks like. And we talked about that. Not only did he do that, but he wants us to do that. And it's, every, it's, the, Christian, it's the job of every Christian to make disciples. Now, tonight, I want to talk with you about another essential. And it's so important and it's so powerful. And I hope we'll just be open to it tonight. And like I said before I prayed, man, we're just going for it tonight. So I hope you're ready. We're really just going to do some, some deep stuff tonight. I hope, I hope you're uh, just open to all that God might want to do and say in your heart tonight. Because I want to talk to you about healing. I want to talk to you about how Jesus seemed to be all about healing. There, there were just, you know, every page you turn in, in the Gospels, you're seeing Jesus healing somebody, doing something in somebody's life that... Man, that was a broken person he just put back together. That, that was a broken heart. That was a broken spirit. That was a broken body that he just put back together. Now, this is important for us to talk about for a bunch of reasons. The first one is because there's probably some of us here tonight who don't believe that God still does that kind of thing. Like, we believe in God, sure. But we don't believe that he still heals. 
We don't believe that he still will answer prayer in that way and that he'll show up. Some of us, because we've tried to pray and we've asked for healing and it seems like it hasn't happened. And so tonight I want to set the record straight that, man, Jesus is a healer still today. And not only that, but he actually wants us to go beyond just looking at him and saying, wow, you're someone that brought healing to people. And he actually wants us to become the people who bring healing to others. The second reason this is so important is because we don't see enough healing. We don't see enough healing. You know, as we read scripture, we see Jesus, like I said, every page you turn, almost, almost every paragraph, sometimes the whole page, is just about him touching people, healing people, and doing these great things. And we don't see that enough. The next reason is because we have seen some healing here, but we want to see so much more. So if you're here today, you're like, man, I believe that God wants to heal people. I believe that he even wants to use me to heal some people. We want to encourage you. We want to get your expectation high that God really wants to use you. And the last reason that it's so important for us to talk about is because I really want to talk toward the end of the message and just really try to be super biblical on this and help you guys understand some things. What do you do when you pray and nothing happens? Because I think that's the biggest thing that keeps us from being people that carry the healing of of Jesus to people is our experience, is that we've tried this before, is that we've prayed and nothing happened. The answer seemed like no. It seemed like maybe he wasn't even listening. And so tonight, I want you to be able to push through that and understand that you need to keep going, that you need to keep praying. And maybe that there are some reasons why we feel like things aren't happening more often. And if you're not a Christian tonight, we're so glad that you're here. And I know, you know, I've been saying this lately, but you've probably seen the YouTube videos and the late night television that makes all this look really bad. You know, you're thinking to yourself, not only does it not look like they're healed, but that guy just punched him and he fell on the floor and he probably needs prayer now more than he did before. Right. Okay. So you've seen this stuff. Maybe you just think it's a bunch of, you know, silliness and and garbage. But I want you to know tonight, despite some of the abuse and the misuse of this kind of stuff, that God is a healer. And maybe in your life, there are some things that you'd even want to bring to him tonight. So just be open. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8. And uh, that's going to kind of start us off. And we're going to look at a really awesome story. And I just think this is so powerful. And I just hope it raises your expectation. So Luke chapter 8, verse 40 says this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Okay, so just imagine this for a second. You're Jairus, right? I mean, I have a seven-year-old, and I just imagine the brokenness of this man. I mean, it doesn't just say that she was sick. It says she's dying. So she's in the process of dying. He knows he doesn't have much time. So he has run to find Jesus to possibly make a difference in this situation. I just know as a dad, the passion in my heart to get to Jesus, to to bring my son before Jesus, to make sure that that Jesus can do something here. I'm just touched by that as a dad. Next part says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Okay, so here's Jesus. Jairus is there, has told Jesus what's going on. And in the midst of the same crowd, there's this woman who's been sick for 12 years. Now, a lot of you guys know my story. My wife, Kelly, she's been sick for three and a half years. I know the ups and the downs, the pain, the doctor's appointments, the disappointment, the frustration of the three and a half year process. I can't imagine 12. So this is a broken woman. This is a hurting woman. It says that the doctors couldn't heal her. No one could heal her. 
So she's, she's, you know, sat in all the first century waiting rooms. She's been there. She's done that. And she's broken. And tonight, I just want to say, maybe you're that broken person. Maybe you're the broken person who needs healing. Or maybe you're the person that knows a broken person. And rather than just feeling like, oh, well, maybe God could do something for them. Maybe God wants you to be the one that would bring the healing to that person. So let's see what happens here in the rest of the story. So she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. So she just fought her way through this crowd. I mean, the verse before said the crowds were crushing him, right? I was watching the Giants game a little bit earlier today and I, you just see these guys, man, you know, like handoff and they just got to barrel through. All these guys try to get, to, you know, try to get to the end zone. And I love those plays when it's like, you know, like this is the line and, and they just got to get like an inch and it's just like everyone just attacks. And I, I just imagine this woman somewhat like that, like on the edge of this crowd, there's all these people around, Jesus in the middle and she's like, I think she's just throwing people and I think she's going for it like a 300 pound linebacker. Just, just, let's do this, you know? And so she's fighting her way in she touches jesus cloak and she's healed verse 45 who touched me jesus asked when they all denied it peter said master the crowd people are crowding and pressing against you so this is another brilliant moment for peter right he basically said to jesus duh right i mean that's pretty much what he said and so here's the scene right jesus in the middle of this thing i don't know if you've ever been at a concert or a sporting event where there are so many people around you that it's just wrong you know, have you ever been there? You know, like Kelly and I were at a concert a number of years ago. We were so packed in. All of a sudden, I felt someone way too close behind me. I was like, if that's not my wife, this is highly inappropriate. You know, like this is just not cool, okay? And so this is the scene. Jesus is just completely surrounded. And yet he feels, I love what it says. He feels that power has gone out from him. Look at it, Look what it says. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's celebration. I mean, this is huge. A miracle. A woman who's been sick for 12 years healed in a moment. Maybe that's some of you tonight. Maybe that will be some of your story as you leave. Maybe some of your story will be to go out and to bring that kind of healing to others. But very quickly, the mood changes in the middle of this story. Verse 49, Jesus has just gotten the words out of his mouth that she's healed. And then this happens. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, says, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Here's this huge high. Here's this big moment. And suddenly, here's this terrible news. And just, again, become Jairus for a second. And just imagine... Jairus is thinking to himself, maybe, maybe he's thinking to himself, you know, if this woman hadn't stopped Jesus, maybe he would have gotten to my house in time. Jesus, why'd you stop? What are you doing here? Why, why would you allow my daughter to die? Maybe he's angry at Jesus. Maybe he's angry at the woman. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Now, this must just rattle this guy's cage. I mean, he's just got to be like, what are you talking about? Did you not hear she's dead? There's nothing that can be done. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once 
She stood up. Awesome, powerful, healing. Why should we want to heal? Because Jesus healed. Why should we want to bring the hurting and the broken hope, healing, life? Because Jesus did that. Now, some of you guys might be saying, yeah, but Jesus was God. So, I mean, that's kind of like a special thing. I'm certainly not God, okay? So your objection might be, well, I don't know that that's for me. Well, we don't really have time to get into it, but if you have your Bible open, you could flip your Bible one page over to Luke 9, and you're going to see that it wasn't just Jesus that brought healing. He then sends out his 12 followers and says, okay, now you go do it. And you say, all right, well, then that was like a Jesus and disciples type thing. Well, flip your Bible one more page over to Luke 10, and he sends 72 more followers out, and they all start healing people. Okay, so maybe it was Jesus, the 12, and then these 72. Okay, well, flip your Bible over two books to the book of Acts, and you'll begin seeing that more and more of these Christians were bringing healing, were using the gifts that God had given them. And so I want to tell you tonight that Jesus wants you and I to bring healing to the broken. He doesn't just want to be the healer. He wants to actually be the one that you point others to. He wants to be the one that gives us the ability to go and pray and see incredible things happen. Maybe you're broken tonight. He wants to touch you. Maybe you know someone who's broken tonight. He wants to use you to touch others. It's a powerful thing. It's an important thing. It's something that's so needed As a church, can you just imagine if we begin to see more and more things that God would begin to show up and do? But right in the middle as I'm talking, there are some of us that are arguing. There's some of us that are saying, but Doug, don't you remember what you said earlier? The the experience I've had is that most often people don't get healed. And so I just kind of gave up. I just kind of stopped praying for this. Or even to take it to the extreme I have one of my best friends growing up, grew up in church, loved God, was actually uh, studying to become a youth pastor and prayed for someone in his family and they ended up dying and he gave up his faith in God completely because of that experience. And so I don't want you and I to become people who stop praying for the sick. I don't want you and I obviously to become people who give up on our faith. So the question I want to answer for the rest of this message is, what do we do when we don't see the healing right away? What do we do? Well, I want to give you four things to look for. Okay? Because I want us so badly to see healing. After the six o'clock service, we prayed for people for healing. After the eight o'clock, we're going to pray for people who need healing. And so tonight, I want you to see, okay, maybe there are times when answers don't come for a certain reason. And I want to understand those reasons. I want you to understand those reasons so that you then could be somebody that's going to push past and it's going to dig deeper instead of just saying, maybe God doesn't do this stuff anymore or maybe there is no God. Instead of that, you would say, no, wait, there's got to be something here. There's got to be a purpose or a reason. And so let's dig deeper and let's ask God to lead us in this. Some of you guys, if you're honest, you've got your own conditions of brokenness and you gave up a long time ago asking for God to do anything about it. And you still love him, maybe, and and there's still an excitement and a passion in your heart. And that's a beautiful thing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I just want to reignite in you a hunger to go to God. For some of you that don't believe in this stuff, I I, I pray you've seen already that this is a scriptural thing. This is a biblical thing that Jesus, as, as a follower of Jesus, he wants you to be people that carry healing to those in need. 
But let's talk about some of these reasons. What are some reasons why maybe we don't see healing as much as we would like to? This is all biblical stuff. This is a, a going to be a, just a, a balanced teaching on healing and on, on the things that sometimes get in the way of those healings. And I'll tell you, to be honest, this isn't popular stuff. Some of the answers I have for you, maybe we won't like. But we find it in this book. And rather than give up on healing or give up on God, I would rather you know, well, okay, maybe this is going on right now, or maybe that's going on, or maybe I need to pray this way or pray that way. I'd rather you understand it. So let's look and see some different things, some different answers. The first thing that can get in the way of a healing is sin. Okay? What I want you to do is I want you to read along with me in 1 Corinthians. And this is kind of an interesting story. And so I'm going to do my best to explain it as we go. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to start at verse 17. It says this. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians church. And he's got some issues with them. And this is what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. So he's saying, guys, let's just be honest. When you guys get together, it's a train wreck. All right? In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So they're divided and there's a unity problem. He says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. But then he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. See, the problem is they're supposed to be coming together and celebrating communion together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, celebrating what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, that's not what you're doing. He says, For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So here's the deal. These guys are getting together. Rather than being unified, rather than um, honoring God in communion, they're getting drunk. Uh, it says some have food and some don't. So some, some people are just feasting and others don't have any food at all and they're not sharing. And, and so Paul's upset because this is supposed to be a holy thing. This is supposed to be time where they remember what Jesus did and they're abusing it. Okay. So verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So they're coming in. And I mean, you guys, most of you probably have been to a service where you're taking communion. And uh, I don't know what your background is, but I'll tell you, that's one of my favorite things we do here is you just focus on Jesus. You focus on his death and his resurrection. And Paul's going, you guys are basically mocking that. You're making a mess of all of that. So just imagine we're supposed to be taking communion together and somebody over there is getting drunk. Somebody over there is saying, no, this food's mine. I mean, so there's all this disunity. There's all this issue, right? Then verse 28 says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now listen to verse 30. That is why. Wait, what is why? The disunity, the drunkenness, the not worrying about people that don't have food, the sin in the church is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a first century way of saying dead, okay? So he's saying, this is why. You're wondering why some of you are sick? It's because of the sin. You're wondering why some of you are dying? It's because of the sin. Now look at verse 31. And this is so important because right up until now, it's like, oh, Doug, I hate this. You're making God sound like all angry. Look at this verse, so powerful. If we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Look at this, verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned 
with the world. What does that mean? First off, I want you to see what it doesn't say. It doesn't say when we are being judged by the Lord, we are being punished. See that word discipline? Punishment and discipline are two different things. Jesus was punished for your sin and my sin. You will never be punished for your sin again if you're a follower of Jesus. But we will be disciplined. And I love the rest of the sentence. Being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What's God doing here? God is disciplining the church with some sickness so that they won't be eternally disciplined. You guys getting that? He's allowing some sickness in their life to wake them up, to go, guys, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Wake up. Let this get your attention so that you can repent of this, get done with this, get back to unity, get back to caring for each other, get back to the uh, communion and taking the Lord's Supper together. And when you do that, there's healing. You guys see that God is just simply saying, look, I'm not angry. All my anger and my wrath was taken out on Jesus. This is about discipline. And the Bible says, a good father disciplines his son. You know what? When I'm disciplining my kids, it's not because I'm angry. Well, maybe once in a while. But usually, it's because I love them. And God's a better father than me, so he never does it out of anger. And so there are times, guys, when I have to look at my kids and I got to go, dude, your wee stuff's going in the garage. Sorry. Kelly's like, no, don't discipline me. No, no, no. It's the kids, Right? <laughs> There, there are times I got to just, and, and I, I hate to do that. I don't want to say that to them, but I got to say, you know what? It's, it's, it's a situation that I've got to deal with here and, and you need to be disciplined because I love you and I don't want you to keep going that way and there's, there's more for you than this. And so sometimes, guys, the reason the answer is no when it comes to our prayers is because there's sin in our lives and, and the thing to do is not just go, oh, well, I guess I'm a sinner and I can't get healed now. The thing to do is go, God, forgive me for this and help me. God, now heal me, heal me. I love the prayer that David prayed. I think it's so powerful. When, when David says, God, would you search me and know me and see if there's any wrong way in me, any offensive way in me? I think that's how we approach God. And so maybe some of you tonight, you're a broken person and you need healing. And maybe, I mean, there's three more reasons. It might not have anything to do with sin at all. But m- maybe one of the things you should do is go before God and say, God, Search me and know me. Is there any offensive way in me? And if he brings anything to mind, then you go, God, forgive me of that. Thank you that Jesus took the wrath and the penalty for that. And now would you heal me? I have a friend who um, was praying for a lady once at church and uh, she had severe elbow pain. She was a a really talented violinist and she ended up uh, not getting healed. And so my, my friend said, you know what? I want you to go home and I want you to just pray. Pray and ask God to lead you. What's going on? God, just ask him what's going on. And as she went home and she began to pray, she felt like God really brought out a tremendous pride that she had in her heart about her talent and ability to play the violin. And so she just said, God, I'm so sorry. I see my arrogance. I see that this is a gift that you've given me. It's ridiculous for me to be arrogant about this. And she went back to my friend and they prayed and she was healed. And she was touched by God. And so maybe that's a reason, guys. Maybe rather than giving up on God, rather than giving up on praying for the sick, we would say, God, could there be a reason for this? The second one is faith. Jesus was in his hometown. And look what happens. This is an unbelievable story. He's there in his hometown, um, gaining some fame. People starting to know who he is. 
And look what it says about what happens there. Mark 6, it says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So Jesus, what's going on here? Why are you only doing a few miracles? Because of their lack of faith. Now, I want to say something, and I hope you guys catch this, all right? Jesus said something really powerful. You know what he said? He said, as long as your faith is the side of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to move if you want to. Do you know what that tells me? It's not so much how big your faith is as how big the one your faith is in. It's, it's not about, oh, well, then I got to get this, you know, enormous faith before I see God do anything. Now he says, look, 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 mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. And if your faith is that small, then you can tell the mountain to move. So really, I think the issue of faith is not like we got to sit in our room and try to muster up faith. I mean, scripture says faith is even a gift that's given to us by God. Okay, so I don't think it's something you got to muster up and try to get this big, huge faith before you can ask God for something. If your faith is the size of one of the smallest seeds and it's in Jesus, then you probably have the faith you need. That's what Jesus says. And so maybe it's a faith issue, but as long as your faith in Jesus and you got a little bit of it, then it's probably not a faith issue. But I think if you're in that situation, again, you go to God and you say, God, I love the prayer that the man in the Bible prayed. He says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. God, if this is a faith issue, would you just increase my faith, God? If you give faith, then would you increase my faith? And would you help me to believe that you're a God who loves and heals and wants to do something awesome in my life? So it could be a sin thing. It could be a faith thing. The third one is a big deal. And I think this is one that we miss. And I think this is one that happens frequently. And this is what, is it, what it is. It's not God's will for that time. The healing that you're praying for, the thing you're looking to God for, it's not God's will for that time. Not a popular answer, but a biblical one. I want to show you two examples of this. The first one is from the book of Job. Okay, I don't know if you guys know this. The book of Job was actually the first book of the Bible that was written. It's the oldest book. I mean, it was, I know it's like in the middle of the Bible, but it was written before Genesis and all that stuff. And I love that because I feel like God was trying to establish something. I feel like he's trying to say, okay, this is something that's really important. Take note of this. And I know some people say, oh, well, Job was before Jesus came. So, you know, I mean, after Jesus came, that's really when healing and more stuff like that happened. So it kind of makes sense that Job would have been afflicted and gone through some hard stuff. But the thing is that people understand is that the same thing that saved Job saves you and I. It's Jesus' death on the cross. The same thing that healed Job at the end of the story is the same thing that heals you or I. It's Jesus' death on the cross. God's outside of time. It's not like, oh, well, Job was back then. It's, it's all about the cross. Everything in history points to the cross and everything after the cross points back at it. Okay? So I don't want you to think like, oh, well, this is Old Testament, so it doesn't really count. That's a real misunderstanding of the Bible. Okay? And so... Here we are, and a lot of you guys know the story, but I want you to see something so powerful. Job 1.1, it says this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Why do you think those verses in there? I think God might be trying trying to say something. I think he's trying to say, this is not a sin issue Job has, and this is not a faith issue Job has. We're tight. Me and Job are tight. 
He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So, I mean, we're setting this up saying Job was a blessed guy. He had all these possessions, possessions, was rich. And look what happens a few verses later. Satan comes to God, and God picks a fight with Satan. Look at this, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, who initiated that? Did Satan? God did. God did. That shows me purpose. That shows me God's working out a plan. Okay? Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Not a sin issue, not a faith issue. Then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread out throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Guys, this gives us incredible insight into God. Do you guys see that Satan is 100% on a leash here? Satan cannot touch Job until God says go. Are you guys seeing that? Like for those of us that might not be sure, is God's in control and God is completely in control. And you're only going to see how much more he's in on a leash. Satan then is allowed to go and he's allowed to kill Job's kids and take all of, all of Job's wealth. And you know what Job does? He gets up and he worships. Gets up and he says, you know what? Life's hard. People I love died. I lost my wealth. God's better. God's more important. I still love him. I'm still going to serve him. Job 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, again, God's picking more of a fight here. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Not a sin issue, not a faith issue. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. You guys hear that? There was no reason. There was, there was no sin issue. It wasn't like God said, you're right, Satan. He does have a lot of sin in his life. Let me blast him. Next part. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Do you see Satan on a leash again, right? All right, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him, right? You see, Satan's not like sneaking around behind God, like, ooh, maybe do this. He's got to ask permission, and then God allows him. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So he's in such pain that that's like relief to him right then. So here's this guy, broken. And he stays that way for a while. And he's crying out to God. And there's no answer for a while. And I just love that the first book written in the Bible is basically written to show us one thing. Life is hard. We get sick. People we love die. We lose possessions and stuff. But God is better than it all. That the things he gives us are good things and we should enjoy them when he gives. But like Job says, you give and you do something else too. You take away. And I'm going to bless your name even then. The purpose of the book of Job is found in the first and second chapters of Job and the last two chapters of Job. 
And the last two are beautiful. Job goes through all this terrible stuff. And then God and him have this conversation. And God restores him, blesses him, heals him. And then Job says something so powerful. Catch this, guys. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now, now, because of all this suffering, because of all this brokenness, because of my sickness, my kid's death, my wealth being lost, now my eyes have seen you. Guys, I don't know about you, but when I'm broken and the answer's not coming, I cling to Jesus. Because if I don't, I won't make it. That's the point of the book of Job. That no matter what happens, we cling to him. That when sometimes the, the response comes back, it's not my will right now. Job didn't have a sin issue, a faith issue. He understood God's love. He was in a great relationship with God. And God says, I'm doing something else than what you want right now. It's not, catch this, guys. This is biblical. Come on. This is scripture. He's saying, it's not my will for you to be healed right now. Because I'm doing something better. And you know what? If Job could go back at the end and God said, all right, I'm going to give you a chance to go back. I'm going to give you everything back you had. Do you want to go back and go through it all again? Or you want to just go back and let everything go the way it would? You know what Job would have said? He said, he would have said, send me back and do it just how you did it. Why would he say that? Because his ears had heard of God, but at the end, his eyes had seen God. He, he was unbelievably grateful for the revelation that God gave him through that broken time. Let's run to the New Testament now. I want to show you one example because I know people say, oh, well, that's Old Testament, it doesn't count, which is just silliness. But Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiha. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Not a sin issue, not a faith issue. These guys were tight with God in a love relationship with him. Look at verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So here's this guy who's, I mean, he's a priest. He's, he's tight with God. He's God's representative to the people. And yet his wife can't conceive. She can't give birth to a baby. And now they're old. And nothing has happened. And Zachariah's in the temple one day. An angel appears to Zechariah and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And basically he looks back, if you, if you look at it, he basically says she's old and busted, it ain't happening, right? I mean, he just kind of goes for it, right? He actually says it very nicely. I hope I'm this gracious. He says she's well along in years, you know, like, oh, that was a nice way to put it, right? And so then the angel says, all right, well, just hang back. You're going to not be able to speak for a little while, all right? I'm going to do that first. And that'll be a sign that this is the real deal. And I want you to see what Elizabeth says here. This is so powerful. Verse 24, it says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, what's going on here, guys, is here's this priest's wife who couldn't have a baby. Her body was broken and the people would have seen that as a disgrace because the bible promise in the old testament that the righteous will 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 be able to produce will be fertile and here she is unable and so for her whole life you know what she's heard you're unrighteous you're unrighteous you must be unrighteous otherwise you'd be able to produce 
You know what she's probably heard her whole life? You don't have enough faith. You need faith. Now, again, sometimes it can be unrighteousness. Sometimes it can be a lack of faith. But in this story, guys, do you know the one reason why Elizabeth couldn't get pregnant? Not because she wasn't close with God. Not because she didn't understand his love. Not because of sin. It's because it wasn't God's will that she be healed yet. It wasn't God's time. And here she is waiting until, I mean, it's like Abraham and Sarah, until her body is literally at the point where it's humanly impossible and God does this miracle and brings John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for the Lord, who Jesus says is the greatest who's ever been born. That's Jesus' comment about John the Baptist. So now Elizabeth and Zechariah, they've been broken. They've been disgraced for all these years. They hang on, they hang on, they hang on. And now they get this incredible blessing of this son. Do you guys see, guys, Job and Zechariah? It wasn't a faith issue. It wasn't a sin issue. It wasn't a not understanding or a revelation of God's love issue. It wasn't a closeness with God issue. It was simply God's will. And I want some of you guys desperately who are at the end of yourself and you're ready to give up on God to recognize that maybe, just maybe at the end of your journey, when God says now is the time for healing, I will bring healing now that you will say like Job. I had heard of him, but now my eyes have seen him. When my kids are sick, they cling to me in a special way. There's a dependency on me. And through Kelly's sickness, I can look back over the last three and a half years and I can say that it has produced the most beautiful things in our life. I can tell you that the struggles, the pain, I mean, she's been told everything from indigestion to cancer and no one can help us. But I can tell you this, that day in, day out, as we together cry out to Jesus, let today be the day, God. Let today be the day that that she's healed. I can tell you that through it all, we just cling to him. And there's an intimacy with him that is beautiful. My wedding day was a great day. The days my kids were born were great days. But I didn't cling to Jesus on those days like I do now. Those joyful days, those happy days, they were beautiful and I praise God for them. But I depend on him for every step right now. And there's something he's creating in me and in my wife and in our family and in our friends around us that are walking through it with us that is beautiful and that I wouldn't trade for the world. And if, if God stood before me and said, do you want to go back in time and do this without Kelly getting sick? I would say, no way. I've grown too much. She's grown too much. We need this. I want the intimacy with Jesus. I want to cling to him like I have to for every breath. And in the midst of it, there's people telling us just like Job's friends told him why, why she's sick and what we're doing wrong. And there's people, you know, just like they told Zachariah and Elizabeth that, Maybe they're unrighteous or maybe this or that. But you know what? We go before the Lord and we ask those questions. We say, God, are we missing something here? God, is it a sin issue? Because if it is, here we are. Speak. Is it a faith issue? If it is, give us faith. But as far as we know, it's not a sin issue and not a faith issue. But it's a not yet issue. It's a not my time issue. And rather than get disillusioned and give up on my faith, rather than get disillusioned and say, that's it, God does not heal today. We're strengthened by his grace every day to keep praying for other people who are sick. The crazy thing is, is that Kelly and I have prayed over other sick people while she's been sick and they've gotten healed and she still hasn't. That's a plan, man. 
That's a plan. That's a purpose. God's doing something. We're running out of time. The last thing I want to give you very quickly, we're not even going to have time to look at the scripture, is that sometimes the answer is just no. Sometimes the answer is no. I'll give you Timothy as an example. Here's a guy close to Paul. I mean, Paul could like, Paul could touch this Paul's shirt, right? And then Paul could go home to his sick mom and his sick mom could touch the shirt and she would be healed. Like, I mean, Paul was like ridiculous, okay? Like that literally happened in the Bible, like a cloth and people are getting healed. Okay, now Paul is close with Timothy, They're super close. I mean, Paul says, I'm like your father and you're like my son, okay? And yet Paul tells Timothy, you know what? Because of your frequent illness, you should take some medicine for your stomach. Wait a minute, Paul. You're like, I mean, if anyone's a professional healer, right? It's you, but yet he says, all right, just, just take some, I know you got this frequent stomach illness, so just, just take, some, take some medicine for it, you know? This guy should never, I mean, if, if, if God's will is always that everyone be healed and there's never a no, then Paul certainly should have never heard no. No one's probably ever been closer to God than Paul. And yet, as far as we know, Timothy's not healed. Another guy, Trophimus, in First Timothy, Paul leaves him. Paul leaves him sick. Okay, so I want to say this very clearly, though. It's very, very, very rare to hear no as you read through Scripture in the New Testament. There's a few examples of God just simply saying, no, no, it's not going to happen. And so our statement as a church, the thing we stand by when it comes to healing is this, is that as we pray and we ask God for healing, we should hear no on occasion, rarely on occasion. That we should hear wait sometimes. We should hear, it's not my will for this time sometimes. And we should hear yes frequently. As you read through scripture, you see healing after healing after healing. And guys, it's not where we're living. And my heart is, guys, that we would get there by God's grace. That the day would come where we're just seeing yes, yes, yes. Okay, wait, wait, yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, no to that one, but yes, 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 wait, right? I think that's the pattern you see in scripture. And so as a church, that's what we stand by. That God is a healer. That sometimes things get in the way like sin or like faith issues or sometimes he's saying wait and and rarely he's saying, no, I'm not going to do it. But that ultimately we serve a God who heals and who wants us to bring that healing to others. We've seen this in this church. We've seen people heal of asthma all the way down to um, literally a woman whose entire immune system was shut down and not working and God healed her like that. And she went into the doctor and he was absolutely floored. We've seen all kinds of cool stuff but we need to see so much more. And now I hope you know how to walk through it. I hope tonight you have been convinced he is a healer and he wants you to heal. I hope you know now what questions to ask as you're praying for somebody and maybe they're not healed. And I hope that you will push through it and you will not give up on your faith and you will not give up praying for the sick, but that will go and will keep growing together and bring healing to those in need. Let's pray together. God, we're just grateful to you that we have this opportunity to partner with you. Jesus, we we thank you, God, for the things you've done for us, Lord. And uh, we thank you for the opportunities you give us to be able to just live close to you, God. And and that you want to use us to be able to reach out to others around us, to the broken around us, to those that are hurting around us, to those with, with physical issues or mental issues or spiritual issues or even relationships. We just pray you'll use us to be people 
who bring healing. If you're a Christian, would you take a few minutes and would you be praying for those people around you that you know, maybe work, school, whatever, that are, are broken and hurting right now? Would you start praying for them? Start praying, God, would you do something in their situation? Would you show up? Jesus, you're the healer. You're the one who healed Jairus' daughter. You're the one who healed that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. God, would you touch my friends? Would you use me in these situations to bring healing? So pray for them, Christians. And if you're not a Christian tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to put your faith in God. And so if you want to begin a relationship with him, you want to become someone who's in a love relationship with the healer, with the Savior, with the one who died to rescue you from your sins, like I was talking about in the message, the one who took your punishment, the one who took the wrath of God for you so you could be saved in his, then I want to give you this opportunity to pray now. Just between him and you, you could say something like this. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for this opportunity to know you, to not be held down by my sin and my guilt and my shame anymore. Would you help me to experience the healing you bring? Would you help me, God, to be able to experience what it is to be more and more a healer? You know, guys, ultimately, I think the way to end this message is to say that we're to carry healing to the broken here and now. But there will be a day when every single one of us is healed as we stand before Jesus. As by his stripes we are healed and that will be every last one of you one day. And so if it's wait or if it's no, hang on. Hang on because he's better. He's better. Cling to him. He loves you even if the answer is wait or no.